0: Welcome to another episode of Do Loss. My name is Levi Bimba and on today's show we're going to discuss the Jewish disdain for God. So as I'm sure you know we recently celebrated uh, Good Friday and Easter weekend uh, just a few days ago and over the weekend there was an article that came out from an Orthodox Jew in the New York York Times talking about um, changing things a little bit regarding Passover and I'll get to that in a second but Uh, Passover is something that we as Christians actually take seriously and and, and really look back on with fondness because it was a symbol, a sign of what would happen uh, in the New Testament as Christ being our Passover lamb, as 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us. And also, uh, when God instituted Passover in Exodus 12, he uh, talked about how it was going to show uh, a, a, it was going to be a symbol of mercy to the Jews that they would not also be destroyed with the Egyptians when he visited the uh, the Egyptians with his final judgment, and so as you can see, there's that uh, interplay between the old and new testaments and Christ being the fulfillment, the ultimate Passover, as he is the one who died on the cross to redeem us from the final judgment of God, which is hell. And so, uh, but I wanted to read through the article a little bit and talk about this guy's interpretation or really his um, his desire to actually get rid of Passover and get rid of even the God of Passover being an Orthodox Jew. So he wrote an article and his article is titled In This Time of War, I Propose We Give Up God. And so in the article, he makes a lot of uh, just... Basic un- misunderstanding of who God is, of how holy God is, and how evil we are, and what we deserve. And uh, he talks about uh, uh, many different things that are just really borderline blasphemous, and maybe are indeed blasphemous. And so we will uh, cover those and talk about those uh, to begin with here. So he says, "Quote: This weekend, Jews around the world will celebrate the ho- the holiday of Passover. The name of which comes from the story of God passing over the homes of our distant ancestors." On his way to slaughter the firstborn sons of evil Egyptians, our forefathers, the story goes, marked their doorposts with lamb's blood in order to spare their sons the awful fate of their enemies. So there, he's reiterating the story of God telling the Jews to kill their Passover lamb and to smear the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, so that when the angel of death comes, he will see the blood and pass over that Jewish home. So if all the Jews did then and obeyed. They were spared the judgment of God. Uh, so, Shalom Auslander continues. In this time of war and violence, of oppression and suffering, I propose we pass over something else. God. Now, this is where it's just, it just—it just gets more—it just gets worse from here. So now he's suggesting that because of the war going on in Ukraine and the vi- the violence that is in the world and the oppression and suffering, he is saying now we should just pass over God. And as you, cl- clearly you can see the the play on words there. Um, But as as and this is a really a tactic that people in the world, especially atheists, use to to talk about how to talk about how God is evil and he's unjust and he's not kind and he's not uh, doing allowing people just to be who they are. And he's full of judgment and wrath and anger. And he's allowing all these bad things to happen in the world. But you have to ask them, how do you know what bad is? How do you know what good is? Is it just based on your preference or is it based on some objective standard that you're holding to? You'll hear atheists say, well, we're, we're for human flourishing, we're, we're for human well-being. And again, you have to go back to the foundation. What does human well-being look like? Because if I want to go take something from somebody for my own well-being, I, then my well-being is getting other people's things. My well-being is fornicating. My well-being is gossiping. And if I enjoy doing those things and it makes me feel good about myself, who are you to tell me that I shouldn't partake in those things if those things are helping me uh, be well and flourish in the world. So, And this is the same uh, issue that this Orthodox Jew, claiming to be Orthodox Jews, is falling into, where he's not understanding the judgment, the righteousness, and the holiness of God. So he continues and he says, uh, two aspects of the Passover story have troubled me since I was first taught them long ago in an Orthodox yeshiva in Monzi, New York. A yeshiva is a Jewish college or seminary. He says, I was eight years old, and as a, as and as the holiday approached, Our rabbi commanded us to open our Chumashim, or Old Testaments, to the book of Exodus. To get us in the holiday spirit, he told us gruesome tales of torture and persecution. The Egyptians, he told us, used the corpses of Jewish slaves in their buildings. You mean they used slaves to build their buildings, I asked? And the slaves died from work? No, the rabbi said. They put Jewish bodies into the walls and used them as bricks. Now, uh, as far as I know, the Bible doesn't say anything about the Egyptians doing this. The, the Bible does say in Genesis 15, 13 to 14, that God uh, God told Abraham that the people that they were they would be enslaved by, they would be afflicted by them. So I'm guessing that uh, if, if they were being afflicted, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that the Egyptians did use Jewish slaves as bricks within their, within their buildings. Uh, so uh, uh, this article continues. My father was something of a handyman at the time, and this seemed to me a serious violation of basic building codes, not to mention a surefire way to lose a home sale. Is this brick? The interested couple ask? No, no, says a real estate agent. That's a corpse. So that was his attempt to be funny in an article that he's claiming uh, he's serious about. Um, so he says he continues, but just as troubling, even more so today in, the, in light of the brutal slaughter and taking taking place in Ukraine were the plagues themselves god the rabbi said struck all the egyptians with his wrath not just the pharaoh and his soldiers egyptians young and old innocent and guilty suffered locusts and frogs hail and darkness beasts running wild and water becoming blood and again this is where he once again slanders god god never slays uh, the innocent uh, by punishment god doesn't punish the innocent um, because there are no innocent nobody is innocent (laughs) in god's eyes we are all evil in the eyes of God, when Abraham was negotiating with God regarding the destruction of, Solomon, of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, God, uh, Abraham was telling God uh, in Genesis eighteen twenty three to 26, he says, thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked, perhaps there be 50 righteous within the city. Without also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein, that be far from thee to do in this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, "Listen to this: If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes." So God is saying, "If I had found..." So Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, obviously, is one of the most famous uh, passages in Scripture, even with non-believers, because they see God's rain of of, of fire and brimstone coming down on Sodom and Gomorrah as judgment against the sin, namely homosexuality and all kinds of perversion going on there. And people see that and just look at how God can be so mean and, and ugly and, and unkind and when really it was God's justice, justice and holiness on display. But God said he would have spared the city if he had we would have found fifty righteous people in the city, because he doesn't slay the righteous with the wicked. But as you read the as you read the story, you'll see that Abraham negotiated God down to ten people. And God didn't find 10 people, which is why Sodom and Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, because there weren't even 10 righteous people within the city. And the people that were righteous, like Lot and his family, God did save and took, told those two angels to bring them out of the city before he destroyed it. So, again, that's, that shows God's character and nature, that he will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Exodus 34, 6, uh, God tells us who he is. He explains his character and nature in Exodus 34, 6. And he says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Now, some people might see that and say, well, see, God does punish the children for the sins of the fathers. But in Deuteronomy 24, 16, it says the father shall not be put to death for the children. Neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. And I wanted to quote what John MacArthur talks about that uh, phrase, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. John MacArthur writes, Moses had made it clear that children were not punished for the sins of their parents, but children would feel the impact of breaches of God's law by their parents' generation as a natural consequence of its disobedience, its hatred of God uh, its hatred of God. Children reared in such an environment would imbibe and then practice similar idolatry, thus themselves expressing hateful disobedience. The difference in consequence served as both a warning and a motivation. The effect of a disobedient generation was to plant wickedness so deeply that it took several generations to reverse. End quote. So the, uh, the ability or the, the influence of parents disregarding the law of God, disobeying the law of God and doing their own thing. That kind of attitude and behavior passes down to children, which continues the iniquity of the sin of the parents because the, parent, the children imbibe what the, what the parents do, as John MacArthur says, And they continue on in that realm of iniquity and sin, and God judges them for the sin that began with their parents because their children also took on that same sin of of disregarding the law of God, which is why it's so important for parents to teach their children the law of God because if you don't, if you're not uh, consistent with that, then children will go uh, their natural way, which is sinful and and evil, and disregard the law, and God will punish them for their sin as well. And so uh, the article continues... Um, He says, mothers nursing their babies, the rabbi explained, found their breast milk had turned to blood. Again, this is one of those things that the Bible does not talk about. and Something that the Jewish people had come up with, extra-biblically speaking. And so the article continues and it says, but the Pharaoh, the story continues, still wouldn't relinquish his slaves. Technically, this was God's fault as he hardened the Pharaoh's heart. But the issue of free will wouldn't begin troubling me until my teens. And so God, in his mercy, started killing babies. Again, this is where he slanders God. Once again, God is never at fault for anything that happens in the world. There is nothing that God has ever done that has been sinful, wrong, even slightly uh, evil or slightly uh, uh, imbalanced or or just um, wrong or bad. God never has done anything bad. The Bible tells us in, in Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 3, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy. There's nothing that that God can do or ever does that is sinful. He is a God of truth and and without iniquity. Just and right is he, says Deuteronomy 32.4. So God doesn't do anything wrong. God is never at fault. God was not wasn't even at fault for hardening, hardening Pharaoh's heart, and the classic passage on that uh, 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 is written for us in Romans nine. And uh, but the author of this article is right. God did harden Pharaoh's heart three times in Exodus four twenty one. It says it Exodus three Exodus seven three, and also in Exodus nine twelve. It shows that God did harden Pharaoh's heart. But was God wrong in hardening Pharaoh's heart? And I think the uh, the unequivocal uh, answer is no, God was not wrong in hardening Pharaoh's heart. In Romans 9:14 to 24 Paul writes, "What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid for he saith to Moses, "I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So God will have mercy on whoever wants to show mercy to. God is not obligated to show mercy or grace to anybody because if he were obligated then it wouldn't be mercy and it wouldn't be grace. It would be justice and um, we don't want God's justice. We don't want what we're owed because what we are owed is death and eternal punishment in a lake of fire. To Romans 9, 14 to 24 it continues. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God who showeth mercy. So in the context of salvation, we are not the ones who are, are, are pushing God to save us. God is the one who saves. God is the one who regenerates, which is why God gets all the glory for salvation When we put up, when we place our faith in His Son Jesus Christ, that is all God. Which is why Ephesians two reminds us that even the the faith that we have is a gift uh, from God. And so Paul continues. He says, "For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, the same Pharaoh that had his heart hardened, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy." and whom he will, he hardeneth. So God will show mercy to whomever he wants to show mercy. For in Pharaoh's case, God raised him up. God gave him the power, the authority, the rulership of Egypt at that time for the sole purpose of God proving himself more powerful than Pharaoh, for the sole purpose of God displaying his justice, his holiness for all of Egypt and for all of us throughout history who are who are reading his word. And so when God hardens the heart of Pharaoh, God is, God is not at fault for Pharaoh's sin, but God did harden his heart. And because God has all power and all authority to do whatever he wants, he can harden anybody who he wants at any time that he wants to. Um, so Paul continues and he says, That will then say unto me, Why does he yet find fault Or for who hath resisted his will? So Paul is saying, Paul's answer is quoting the objector to this doctrine and, and saying, Well, then how can God fault me if God is hardening my heart, if God is causing me to, uh, to reject him or, or causing me to uh, not live up to, his standard um, Paul is saying Paul is quoting the objector and saying Then why am I at fault? It's not my fault it's, it's God's fault just like just like this article Is saying just like this orthodox Jew is saying It's God's fault that Pharaoh did all these things But Paul continues And he writes But nay O man who art thou that repliest against God Shall the thing formed say to him That formed it why hast thou made me thus Hath not the pot has, Hath not the potter, the potter power over the clay To make from the same lump one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. So Paul's saying there, God can make what he wants, how he wants, however he wants, he can he can make it, he can make it do whatever he wants. Proverbs 16:4 says the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea even the wicked for the day of evil. So God can do whatever he wants with his creation. That includes me and you. If God today were to ordain for me to go out and uh, and uh do something bad or do something heinous, I would be at fault because I'm doing what I desire to do. I still have my own will, my own desires, but I would, but ultimately God ordains whatever he wants to take place. And so because God has all authority, all power, uh, he does harden those whom he wants to harden, but he also saves those whom he wants to save because we are all part of God's creation. God, this is God's earth. We come, we tend to get confused that, because we are living our own lives, we're living in America, we have freedom, we have liberty, we're able to do whatever we want to do, so to speak, that we think that we are the masters of our own destinies. And that's not the case. God is in control. God is sovereign over all of these things, including uh, the the minutia of day-to-day living. And this is what this Jewish guy does not understand about the God that he claims he grew up learning about. And so he continues in his article and he says, but the Pharaoh the story continues, still wouldn't relinquish his slaves. Technically, this was God's fault as he hardened the Pharaoh's heart. But the issue of free will wouldn't begin troubling me until my teens. And so God in his mercy started killing babies. So that's also one of the things I wanted to bring up. Uh, We hear a lot about free will from people who who even believe the Bible and and are trusting in Christ. And we have to understand that free will is limited by uh, our desire to choose God. So uh, Romans, 5, Romans 8 tells us that we are not, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And if our pleasing of God uh, is chiefly found in repenting and putting our faith in Jesus Christ in the flesh, we cannot do that. We don't have the, the, the power. We don't have the ability to repent and trust in Christ on our own. And so our free will is limited by what we uh, desire to do. And our desires are never for the things of God. So my own little definition that I came up with free will is that free will is the ability to do whatever you desire and are capable of achieving that will consequently never result in genuine faith to believe in Christ as Savior and Lord. So you can do whatever you want to do. You want to start a business, you want to change jobs, If you want to travel the world, if if you want to uh, build a building, if you want to drive a car, you can do all those things uh, in your natural will. And, but your free will will never lead you to choosing Christ because they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The Bible is clear. Jesus says, I chose you. You did not choose me. And so we are never able to choose God uh, and do that which we uh, and, and to please God in that way. But that that does not mean that our wills are not that does not mean that our wills are disconnected from God's plans and God's purposes, because God still uh, controls and and has ordained all things and has all power within his hands. Paul writes in the New Testament that we live and move and have our being in God. So we are not able to operate apart from the power of God because God is one who's animating our souls, our, our bodies, our minds, and he is in total control of them at all times. And so uh, uh, by nature we are evil. We, are, we cannot... Uh, we cannot even understand what is good apart from the law of god as paul writes the law is holy just and good and so because we are naturally evil it is evil it is wrong and it is and it and it is a dishonoring of god to pretend that we can sit in judgment on what god does with his own creation we are his creation we cannot tell him what to do we can't we don't have all power we don't have authority we don't have all knowledge and wisdom um, and so for us and and or for this guy uh, shalom as, as slander to uh, slander God and to, and to treat him as if he is a sinner just like him is just blasphemous and evil and wrong and, a, and it, it shows a lack of understanding who God is and his holiness and in, and in his uh, righteousness uh, and so the article, article continues and he says every firstborn son in the land of Egypt shall die for the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on, who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the servant girl Surely, I wondered, there were some Egyptians who didn't whip Jews, who didn't have anything against Jews at all. Surely there were Egyptians horrified by slavery, Egyptians who disagreed with the Pharaoh as often as we do with our own leaders. Everyone, I asked, the the rabbi. He struck everyone. Everyone, the rabbi said. And again, this and then he continues and he says, God, it seems, paints with a wide brush. He paints with a roller. In Egypt, said our rabbi, he even killed firstborn cattle. He killed cows. If he were mortal, the God of Jews, Christians, and Muslims would be dragged to the Hague, which is an international court of justice within the Netherlands. And yet we praise him. We emulate him. We implore our children to be like him. Perhaps now, as missiles rain down and the dead are discovered in mass graves, is a good time to stop emulating this hateful God. Perhaps we can stop extolling his brutality. Perhaps now is a good time to teach our children to pass over God, to be unlike him as possible. Again, this guy clearly is unregenerate, um, does not know God, doesn't understand the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, has no fear of God to write something like this. The editors and the New York Times have no fear of God to print something like this in their paper. And it just shows you how man is so uh, elevating of himself, thinking that he knows better than God, thinking that he does that he can operate the world that God created better than God can and is impugning God for accomplishing his own purposes for his own will. Thinking that and really ultimately it's because this man thinks he deserves better in life. He does. He thinks he deserves good treatment from God. He He even thinks that other people Life deserve better treatment from God. And he doesn't realize that we are sinners by nature. We have offended God. We are sinners against God. And all we deserve is hell and punishment and, and judgment for our sin against this God that he is slandering. And it's only by God's grace that this guy is still alive. It's only by God's grace that these editors are still walking the planet by for, for printing something as slanderous and as evil as this again, God owns the world. God owns all of creation. He made it. He can do whatever he wants with it. And that includes you and me. God does not owe us anything. God doesn't owe us a good life. He doesn't owe us comfort. He doesn't owe us luxuries. And uh, it's easy to talk about right now. But when you're going through life, you can start to be tempted to think, I don't deserve this. God, you Now, why is God doing this to me? But the Bible reminds us that we are dust We are, we are nothing without God we, are, we live and move and have our being in God Jesus says without me you could do nothing uh, Which again is a testament to his deity So for uh, Shalom to, um, to come against God and, and, to, and to slander him And to attack him as evil And as wrong and as sinful And, and blaming him for things that take place That, that are sinful is just It shows the, 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 the total uh, Depth of human depravity we have no uh, capability to, to honor God in the way that he desires to be honored and he ought to be honored. And as if, as if that wasn't bad enough, he continues. And so God killed them all. The rabbis and priests and imams can preach to their classrooms. That was wrong, children. God threw Adam, and, God, God threw Adam out of Eden for eating an apple. They, they can caution their students. That's being called heavy handed children. Again, there was no apple. The Bible never says what the fruit is. It just says there's a fruit. And again, if God (laughs) made the world, he decides what's right and wrong. He decides what's good and evil. And if it was evil for Adam to eat the fruit that God told him not to eat, then it was evil for Adam to eat the fruit and God cast him out of the garden. And for good reason, because he violated the law of God. That's not heavy handedness. That's just justice. And that's what we should be teaching our children. The justice of God demands absolute obedience. It it demands absolute perfection because that's how holy God is. And the whole point of teaching our children that and teaching ourselves that is to realize that we can't do that, which is why we need Jesus, which is why we need to put our faith in him for salvation. The whole point of the law, the whole point of recognizing our sin is so that we see the need for a savior and that savior is in Jesus alone. Cursing all women for eternity because of Eve's choices, that's called collective punishment, children. They can warn the young, don't do that. Again, that's what God ordained. We all sinned in Adam. Romans 5 tells us that. So we all come into the world naturally sinners. We all come into the world evil, wicked, lying from the womb, as the psalmist tells us. So once again, this guy does not know God, doesn't understand the revelation of God, and is slandering God and desires God to be passed over and rejected as if he were something that we can just uh, toss behind our back. But again, this guy will have to stand in judgment for these words. Jesus said, Every idle word men shall speak, they shall have to give account thereof in the day of judgment. And if this guy does not repent and trust in Christ before he dies, he will have to stand before God and have to give an account for this article that he wrote. And so we have to remember that God is God. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. He can do whatever he wants with his creation. God doesn't owe anybody salvation. And I think that's something that kind of gets lost in this argument regarding free will and and, and, and God's sovereignty. God doesn't owe us salvation. God, doesn't, God never promised us salvation uh, before the world began. He did ordain those whom he chose to save before the foundation of, of the world. But he, didn't, he does not owe those he ordained salvation. That, he did it all by his grace. It's all by the grace of God. The more we understand that we are that we, we are at God's mercy, that we are living by His grace, the more thankful we would be, the more grateful, the more joyful we'll be when we understand that God is in control and that we no longer are, and that we are not in control and that we can trust a good, a good, wise, holy Father to operate the world and to do that which is good for us. And people in the world don't understand that they think they deserve better. They think that they deserve a good life. They think that they deserve good treatment from God, that God shouldn't allow anything bad to happen to anybody at all and they don't understand that god is sovereign god does not need them god does not need their advice god does not need our quote-unquote wisdom to tell him how to operate his world so uh thank you for listening to this episode of the do podcast and i will see you on the next one